Welcome, listeners. I am so excited to be sharing today's conversation, today's talk with me, with all of you today. I just thinking about doing this show today is, uh, if you could see me, you would see a huge smile on my face, and and you would know that that my heart is very full and excited in anticipation of spending this hour with a very special person who's very dear to me and will be very special and dear to you when you hear her, (laughs) if you haven't already, and more so if you have before. So I want to say that I am here in Lawrence, Kansas, and I am welcoming my dear friend who is now in Denver, Colorado, Poet Jen Harris. Hey, Jen. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me again. I'm so glad to do this. It seems like it seems like you've been gone forever, Jen. <laughs> you know, it, it feels like that to me, too. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. I've only been gone since August, but, uh, and back and forth in Kansas city about every two weeks, but I do, (laughs) I, I, uh, I did the right thing. You know, I finally got my career off the ground and then I moved. So (laughs) I've definitely been in transit a lot. And doing cool stuff. So for people who haven't yet had the opportunity to get to know you, tell them a little bit about who you are, you know, what kinds of things you're up to. So they have a little bit of context, and then we'll launch into all kinds of conversation and some of your readings. Yay! <laughs> we yes. Um, well, I I go by poet Jen Harris. That's my stage name, and you know, sans poet Jen Harris is my real name. Um, I am a I was a Kansas City based uh, spoken word artist and the founder uh, and former Slam master of Kansas City Poetry Slam. And then I um, had went on a tour of with my book, my first book, Slammed, and I came out to Denver and actually met the woman who is now my fiance. So after about yeah, after about a year of of long distance, going back and forth to Denver every couple of weeks, um, I decided to to move out here and try my hand in a bigger city. Yes. So that's yes. that's where we're at right now. Yeah, and you do. Yeah. You you are like the compliment to my coming from the mental health side to set, to valuing art and and wanting to bring those together from my again coming from the mental health side and and you are doing so many things that are clearly with your art helping people in terms of their emotional well being inspiring people building hope building connection and and that's so special. Thank you. I uh, I definitely try, and this was a very inadvertent effort, but when I started slamming in particular, and then it really moved into spoken word, meaning I didn't want to stick within the three-minute time limit of slam poetry requirements anymore, uh-huh. uh, but I definitely recognized that um, this art form in particular had very much served me in a mental health capacity and it had made me feel connected and better and safe and healthy and understood. And it really has led me down a path of, of healing um, and helping me come to a place where I, I understand myself better and I, I aspire to open the art form up as much as I can to other people seeking uh, a similar experience. I mean, I definitely don't uh, subscribe to the notion that it fits for everybody or that it works for everybody, but I definitely have seen 
people's lives changed by just telling their whole truth. And yes. so I, I continue to work in this field because I, I believe in the power of poetry and the power of writing and essays and memoir and people's ability and need to just tell the truth as they experienced it. Yeah. It's so freeing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, that's, that's what happened uh, in terms of me connecting mm. with, with poets, writers, other artists was when I started doing this show at the invitation of Neil Smith, who's still the producer and Jay walks and Kim Murphy. Um, when, when they asked me to do this show, it was a different show. And I kind of, gingerly started having some artist guests who also really connected with the mental health theme that was the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. And I kept having people say that their art saved their lives. You know, they might've used therapy at times when that were really dark. They might've used medications. They might still, but it was their yeah. art that saved their lives. It's like, wow, this is powerful. And then Absolutely. I knew, yeah, you know, I, I can remember being at Slams here in Lawrence where you were on the stage. Jeanette Powers might have been on the stage. The dear Jessica Elise, who's no longer alive, um, somebody we lost to cancer. Oh, my gosh. At the beginning of this year. Um, so many powerful voices on stage and having people share these poems about hard experiences that I had also had and feeling that well of emotion of both how painful that is that because that comes back as a reminder, but also how powerful it is to even be in the audience and hear somebody say some of those truths and share some of those stories and and that reminder that, you know, we do get through things and we are not alone and we are not damaged people because of hard experiences. You know, there's all this power that happens for the audience as well as the creator. And I love that. I absolutely love that too. I think it's an incredible opportunity to connect with people in a way that perhaps we aren't able to connect with them or we have more of an anxiety about connecting with them um, overall in the everyday experience. You know, you can't just walk up to somebody and be like, my collective experience is a set of shit days and nights. And I just, I'm just really struggling all the time. And people are like, okie dokie, I'm going to go now because you obviously need some help. Right. And I, um, ironically enough, I was on tour and I was traveling back from, um, the right about now, um, feature that I did in Houston and I was pulled over and like run wrongfully searched and um, I was actually uh, ticketed for possession of marijuana and I was forced to do a drug assessment after that and I I went to this counselor that was doing this drug and alcohol assessment and she gave me the assessment and she said you know you have a lot a lot of indicators that you are actually experiencing a pretty intense uh complex PTSD and you should probably get that checked out like you really you, it seems like something you need help with and um that happened and I thought like that collection of experiences was one of 
the worst and most humiliating of my life. And because I never wanted to be in trouble for something I consider a medication. But when I went to that drug and alcohol assessment and the woman told me, you know, you should definitely look into this. I started going to PTSD counseling and, you know, it, it, in retrospect, it's again because of poetry. I wouldn't have been in the situation if I hadn't been driving to, you know, Texas and back. I wouldn't have had weed in my car if a fan hadn't threw a joint on the stage. And I definitely, <laughs> I definitely wouldn't be in PTSD counseling right now if, if that that you know court appointed counselor hadn't said something. And uh-huh. reality is that I look back at my work and the work I've been doing over the course of the last. I mean, five years now, and, um, you know, it it made all the sense in the world, and it has led me in one way or another to healing and to a place where I I recognize my experience in the world as something that shaped me, but not necessarily something that defines me, and my writing evolves in a similar fashion. The beginning of of me being on stage was me being a junkie and me being you know, completely lost in the world. And that evolved over time to me being sober and me being in love and me doing things I'd never dreamed I could do. And, you know, it's all tied to poetry. It's all tied to the performance. It's all tied to um, me spending my life and my time doing what I, what I feel called to do. And then ironically, it's, it just keeps saving me in different ways over and over and over again. Yeah, I love this. Yeah. And and I I want to say that what you're speaking to to me there's this this word that I that I love that's thriving as opposed to surviving. Um mm-hmm. and and I I'm working with Robin Goff who's this beautiful person who has this retreat center um not far from Lawrence called the Light Center. And with Robin and with uh, our friend Rose Island Foster, and we are creating a retreat and hopefully workshop series that's called Thriving While Living with Suicide. Wow, that sounds yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, and, and I'm bringing up that word thriving because that's what I hear from you. It's like, it's not just about can we live with these traumatic experiences? No, it's right. about can we have an awesome life that has downs, yeah, and ups, that it's a life that we're happy to be around to live. And knowing that we've had hard stuff, yeah, that's part of who we are, but it's not a limitation. Absolutely, it's not a limitation, and I definitely have felt multiple times in my life, like when something happened, that something was going to be the end of me. I felt like it was going, it was it. That was, that was as close as I could get to hopeless before um, it was just over. And every single time something that devastating happens, something that just jars me from, you know, the inside out, some, somehow, some way, writing reminds me that I'm going to make it and that I have made it before and that this is not the end and everybody, every human being, you know, experiences things that they not only have no idea what to do with, but, you know, they, I hear so many of my friends, especially as I get into my thirties and into my friends entering into their forties and later, just that, that wish for a, a manual, on how to navigate the extreme spectrum of life. And, you know, there isn't one. 
And I think that the only thing that keeps me afloat most days is knowing that I'm writing my own manual. I'm documenting my experience. I get to go back and say like, oh, this might be hard, but it wasn't as hard as this. Or, oh, my God, this is one of the hardest things I've ever dealt with. And that that doesn't necessarily mean it has to even be hierarchically ranked. It just is an experience I'm going through, but there are equally on the page as many great and beautiful days as there are awful ones. Yes, 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 yes. But hindsight, I definitely don't remember that. So it's good that I write it down. (laughs) Exactly. And it's true. It's true. We get to a point where our brain is in total emotion mode and we don't really have rational thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. So that documentation that we can look at and go, okay, okay. And that reminder that, yeah, shit happens, and I have gotten through it in the past. And right. in all likelihood, I'm going to get through this to the other side as well, to to back to where I feel that happiness and enjoy more time of the day than I do right now. I, right. I, want, to, I want to invite you right now to share some poetry. I, I love what we're talking about, and I want people to hear some of how you express that in poetry. Okay, I um I would love to share. Thank you. I um I have a Patreon and every month I post two to four poems on there that are just for Patreon patrons. So this is one I wrote recently called I Only Want to Do Drugs All the Time. The only time I think about relapsing is when the wind is California soft and the traffic's heavy clouds are making mean, arching eyebrows over the full moon and the wind is just right. The bars on the liquor store window shatter the fluorescent into a soft white glow that lights up my neon tank top and wild days tattoos and everything looks like Christmas and smells like summer and my palms are full of glee and I get a certain tingle in my chest that softens me to the idea that this night could only be improved, that this night could only be improved by the appearance of my rival, a dark alley adventure. Tonight, it's anyone's game. Now I leave parties early when I start to feel fun happening. Fun makes my pulse fast. The faster my pulse, the less trustworthy I am. I am fun's biggest fan. Nothing makes me want to do drugs more than the combination of a warm breeze, the smell of Wendy's hamburgers and Lana Del Rey. There's just something in the wind, something about full moons and cloudy days beating hearts and heaving chests and kissing. There's something about euphoria that feels both nostalgic and progressive, but it's both and it's neither. I only want to do drugs all the time, and it's either all or nothing, but I think I'd miss the wind. Wow. And and as I, as I hear that, I, where I record is actually in my dining room at this, in, in our Victorian house, our old house. So it's this old house scene in a lot of ways. It's also mm-hmm. where I sometimes um, have support group meetings, mm-hmm. individual counseling with people. And, and I think about the people who are in my life right now who are on that journey of, 
breaking free from abusing whatever substances to deal with the hard stuff that lies underneath that and how mm -hmm. much love and admiration I have for people who do that work. It's so hard. It's such, it's such an always effort for people. And I respect that. And, and so I'd love, I'd love that poem that you just shared, because again, it, it, it makes me think of, of people who are in, you know, in, in my world right now, who, who know exactly what you were talking about there. Mm, thank you. I am. Um... I often will use my iPhone and write down notes over the course of the day or the weeks, and then I will I will come back to them and, you know, try to see if there's anything I can run with on days when I'm not feeling particularly inspired. Uh -huh. And uh, when I was posting recently on Patreon, I kept seeing these notes that were titled, like, I only want to get high, I want to get high, I want to get high, and... You know, I think the thing that I've come to accept is very much that this feeling is never going to go away, mm -hmm. but I take resolve in the decision I've made to stay on the sober side of things that go up my nose. So mm -hmm. I just, I, when I, when I write these things, it's like, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to create this delusion that addicts uh, are ever going to not be addicts. Like we know, <laughs> we know the other side of it. We know what fun we had. We know what terrible, awful things happened. You know, we know who we've lost. And, and yeah. there's that, that human experience in a microcosm wrapped around this one particular experience or, you know, series or years of experience. And, you know, I, I think it's such a disservice to people who are in recovery to say that like, one day you won't feel this way anymore. Like right. that's, and I, I do not find that to be true. I want to get high all the time, yeah. but it's for, it's for every reason. It's because I'm having the best day. It's because I'm having the worst day. I just, mm -hmm. I want to go up, up, up and feel everything in a positive way. And that always felt like an easy way to do it. But yeah. now, you know, I recognize that the potential for, losing myself or losing my life or losing my job or the, you know, the reputation I've earned or the respect that I've earned. Like, I, I don't want to lose all those things. So instead, I just write about it like it's romantic because at least then I have a chance to connect with it without acting on it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's so wise. And, and I, I am, I, I'm just going to say that this, that's that parallel of, you live with that every day. It doesn't mean you're going to do it. Is yeah. the same with people. And I'm saying this because so many people are affected by this. People who have suicide thoughts, who have self-harm, who have mm -hmm. suicide. It's not the goal that somehow you're never going to have that thought again. But there's a right. big difference between having the thought and doing the thing. <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. That, and that's the thing. The inaction is, I think, it's surprisingly the thing that saves your life. Mm -hmm. Not doing anything could save your life. Yeah. And just breathing through this yeah. moment. And I used yeah. to think that recovery was harder than that. But just like any other addiction, just like any other struggle we may face, you know, sometimes sitting still is the right thing to do. Uh -huh. And just waiting because... Yeah. 
emotions are fleeting and uh, cravings and, and, you know, a, a desperate need for something, it will all pass. Yeah. But it took me a really long time to be yeah. sure about that. We have to get through that moment. And sometimes we get through that moment playing video games. Doesn't matter. <laughs> whatever works for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Do whatever you need to do. <laughs> Just don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so instead, I, I buy a lot of house plants now, and I right. I take great care of them, and, uh -huh. <laughs> and, and I I work at an agency that allows me to facilitate creative workshops um, to empower struggling youth. That's and so I, wonderful! Oh my! God. Oh my God! It's so good. It's it's just the best. It's the best. I love yes. it. I didn't know that a job like this exists in the world. So. Um, the agency is called Art from Ashes, and it's out here in Denver, and they've been around about 15 years now. And, um, you know, we're not art therapists. We're not psychologists or sociologists or anthropologists. We have no ologists behind our names, though there are a lot of master's degrees in the room. Um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, this is a space that we hold for people ages 12 to 24 to come in and express themselves. And, you know, we do open studios once a week where you can just come in and any art supply we have in the building is yours to use. And we also do these these poetry-based drop-ins where youth are given prompts and they're given three minutes to write and then they share and they, you know, we have pizza and we create an environment where people are encouraged to tell their truth and they are you know, really the major effort is to give them space to find their voice so they can redefine the narrative that they've been told and to change their voice to sound yes. like the, the internal voice, change it to sound like themselves rather yes. than other people or the yes. court systems or, you know, bad yes. schooling, whatever it is. There's so many people out there trying to tell you who you are. And, you know, we wonder why so many of these kids walk around, self-included, um, trying to like feeling guilty and shame and rebellion against the ability to fit in when, you know, there was no need to tell them to fit in. They, you can just exist as yourself in the world and still be, um, everything, you know, they make great demands of you to be, you can still be a patriot. You can still be, um, you know, an effective leader. You can still be, uh, uh an important person in someone's life. And just because it doesn't look or sound like, you know, the majority selling points doesn't mean it's invalid. Yeah, I, I love what you're talking about. And, and I, and I go back to, you know, what's, what's my vision and, and sort of my metaphor for some of that. And, and sometimes what I tell people is that it's like we have this giant balloon, like a helium balloon with a message written on it, but that mm -hmm. message isn't from us it's stuff that somebody else has said to us and so what we get to do is we get to keep poking holes in that helium balloon till it mm -hmm. deflates and the way that we poke holes is by honoring our real truth you know so mm -hmm. when somebody says you know you're a worthless waste of space you go wait a minute yesterday when I was walking to school, there was this old lady and she was having trouble and I offered her my arm and we crossed the street together mm -hmm. and she smiled at me and thanked me. And worthless waste of space doesn't do that. 
I am that right. person, you know? And so we keep, you know, we reinforce that goodness of ourselves. And finally, that message can can really, really go away. We can silence that finally. It may pop up a little bit now and then, but it's so cool because that's what you're helping those those youth do. Well, I, I just, I feel really grateful for the opportunity to say to them like this is a human experience that you're going through and this this challenge that you face is indeed universal and other people will treat you poorly and cruelly because they cannot focus on themselves because they do not know themselves because they are saying these things to themselves so we've we've been talking about how great this work is that you do with kids how important it is and and for me, I also see it as important that you're one of the adults in those people's lives. You know that that they, and some of them see you and relate to you in terms of just how you look. That most most of the adults in their lives may may look much more conservative, and that may may create a barrier. They they hear from you different bits and pieces that let them know that you get some of the stuff that they're going through. You're genuine. You're caring. You know. You're you're nurturing as well as challenging them to do what they need to do. I mean, we we can't have enough of those people in our lives at any point. And it's so important at young ages that we have those people in our lives. You know that 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 adult who looks us in the eye and the lights on for both of us. That is a gift that lasts forever. And so. I'm so happy that's what you're doing. I I want to thank you. I am grateful to be able to be able to move into a position of being an adult who has this kind of information and foundation yes. because I felt like a, I was just going to wander around with a 17 year old brain for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and there are times when it comes in handy because that 17 year old part can relate to those kids sometimes in ways that somebody else couldn't. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. There's so many youth that walk through the door that I'm like, ooh, shit, you're having that day. All right, let's talk about this. <laughs> I I want to hear about a project that I think I just happened to notice on online. I haven't been on social media a lot in recent weeks because of some just how my time is. And I came across the news that you are performing in Kansas City in early March. And I want you to tell us all about that. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. So I um, was... I was approached by Gilda's Club Kansas City, which is a cancer support center um, named after uh, comedian Gilda Radner, who died of cancer. Um, She was married to Gene Wilder, and I'm sure most people remember her, and if they don't know who she is, you should, so Google her. Um, But there's Gilda's Club Cancer Support Center in Kansas City, is a free service to people living with cancer, people who have are experiencing cancer among a loved one, and it's a support center. They have groups, they have individual counseling, they have um, a wide array of free services to the public. And I had the great fortune of meeting um, the executive director, Siobhan, and 
um, Clara, who they're just amazing human beings. And I was connected to them and they said that they wanted to do a um, kind of a benefit of sorts to raise awareness for the center uh, because not a lot of people know that it exists and what an incredible resource it is. Uh Um, So I worked with them and we came up with an idea to do a spoken word poetry show um, where I would interview um, people living with cancer or living with loss and then we would we would go from there and so I did that I, I did 11 interviews I wrote 11 poems I believe 10 or 11 poems and um, we named it collective our stories of cancer and then this amazing composer Stacy Bush took my work and put it to music and Owen Cox dance company is choreographing uh, 75 minutes worth of dance to go along with this, this poetry and this music. And that was all kind of shaped by Rob Robinson and of commerce bank. And, and um, he's, he does a lot of work in the arts, Kansas city uh, demographic and Siobhan and Clara and they just, Everybody was brought together by Gilda's Club, and we made this show. And um, March 2nd through 4th at La Esquina, which is uh, Charlotte Street Studios Gallery, um, we're going to put this show on for the public. It sounds amazing. And, and I know. I'm so excited about it. <laughs> I, I imagine so much emotion, you know, in terms of, you do these interviews, people get to share their stories with you. And then from those stories, you created poetry and that being accompanied with those other arts of music and dance. I mean, it it sounds amazing, moving in so many ways. And, And I think lots of us have been affected by cancer, whether it's cancer we've lived with and or people who we love who lost to cancer. Um, And I know I mentioned earlier, but I want to say again, um, Jessica Elise, because we want Mm -hmm. to remember people. Jessica was an amazing person, a wonderful poet, an artist in so many ways, and an inspiration for so many in the, in, in Lawrence in particular, who, who really, were part of a close network, um, a, a group of poets that that were christened the Red Tail Collective, and, and Jess was one who really pushed people to be their best person as well as their best mm-hmm. friend. And and her cancer was diagnosed um, just after Christmas a year ago, and her death was not long, really just a couple months after that. And she left her dear partner, Macy Webb, who is continuing Jess's legacy in a lot of ways by by Macy stepping up to the mic even more than she had in the past. You know, and, and we, we need to remember people and we need to talk about things. And so the timing for this, um, this huge collaboration around stories of cancer is is meaningful to so many and important and, and I'm I'm just blown away by by what it's going to be. That's so great. Thank you. I'm I feel incredibly incredibly lucky to have had this opportunity to participate in this to 
to have the to have been trusted with the vulnerability um, that people have shown and shared with me uh, throughout these interviews. And then, of course, as fate would have it, at the same time that I started this project, um, really got started getting into it and fleshing out like how it was going to look, um, the executive director of the agency I work for was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh. And so for the last six months, um, I have had a firsthand account with her resilience and her strength and her fear and her bad days and her, you know, worse than imaginable days. And it's been um, it's been life altering. And, and it, it didn't even happen to me. It happened in my life. And it was just, you know, it was uh, it was the most tremendous experience to watch somebody uh, fight beyond all reasonable odds to for their life and I you know I haven't seen that in a long time I see it with people trying to stay alive you know through retrospect of what they've gone through but I haven't seen it happening in the moment and so so raw and vulnerable and um, it meant more than more than anything to for me to be able to to have expanded the visibility of this with my own work mm-hmm. and then i i listened to the tracks that stacy sent um <clears throat> the rehearsal tracks and i was just sobbing because i did not know the power of this collaboration i did not know what it would mean to be able to connect with people and and share their stories. Like I'm just, I'm constantly amazed and reminded. I do the same thing over and over and over again from journalism to poetry. And you think it would get boring or dull or, or at least comfortable or familiar and it never does. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the process was extraordinary and the people are the most resilient, sincere people I have ever encountered. And, you know, so many of them profess having not been that way before cancer, you know, living in this kind of half life of like, you know, not really considering your intentions or your impact, but just going through the motions. And then you have other people who are living so fully every moment of every day who, um, you know, were forced to just stop in their tracks and really deal with their health crisis and, I don't know. Everybody's story is different and exactly the same. And it's the, I don't know, it was one of the most unique experiences I've ever had the honor of participating in. And not only the the people that you talked with, but also I love the the multi-art aspect of what you're doing. I, I remember talking to a young woman, it was a year, anyway, a couple years ago, year and a half ago, whatever, and we were talking because she had had two people close to her die of suicide recently before we talked, and and we were talking about sort of how how she would would do her work of getting her balance back over time with that grief, and we were mm-hmm. talking to some, and I said, you know, the way that you really communicate is through moving your body. You're a dancer first, you know. You're, mm-hmm. you're not you're not a word person you're a dance person and and it was that cool thing to realize that there are these different ways and so again in in this performance that you're part of 
uh, collective are stories of cancer. There's dance and there's music and there's your poetry and all three of those arts in different ways will be communicating about this experience. And, and to mm -hmm. me, the, the impact that has is, is it's more than just, you know, adding, it's multiplying, it's, it's exponential to have all three of those. It's, uh, it's, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And it's going to help support this program, right? That, that does services for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this has been this has been a very it, all, I feel like all of Kansas City has really come together to support this project. Um, Siobhan and her team at Gilda's Club did a tremendous amount of grant writing and, and really did a lot of work around fundraising to be able to pay the artists that are participating in this and be able to, um, you know, catch the city's attention with this this incredibly important performance and you know it's an opportunity to be entertained for sure but this is a this is an opportunity for people to come together and share each other's unique emotional experiences and to know that they are never alone and and that's that's absolutely the lane with which my work will always stay in you know this creation of community and hope and um, connectedness you know I don't want Nobody should have to go through this alone, and I don't want to ever want to participate in alienation of people by suggesting that there's any experience in life that somebody else hasn't had. I just mm -hmm. I think that's preposterous. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a great it's a great opportunity overall to have pushed myself to use my talents and skills to help other people, and you know, Arts KC got on board and Charlotte Street got on board and, you know, we have all of these amazing funders who made this possible to the public and, like, it's just amazing to me how many people are affected by cancer and want to make sure that nobody ever feels like they're in it by themselves. Yeah. And as you say that, as beautiful as this is, <clears throat> I, I think, and there's this opportunity for communities to, to mobilize around other issues that are even harder to talk about. And, and, mm -hmm. and I will say I was in some sense surprised as well as appreciative that you're doing this. And the surprise part comes because I think of you as such a strong advocate for people of different genders and sexual orientations and, and, and people who are not especially in current what's okay to talk about out loud thanks to uh -huh. our uh, federal administration you know people who aren't given the love and respect that they deserve um and so i was a little surprised like okay she's doing this thing about cancer interesting and i granted cancer can affect anybody of any gender and sexual orientation but, <laughs> but it, it is the topic of, of cancer which is again you know a, a different different community conversation and, and uh, an easier community conversation than a lot that you have been engaged in. <laughs> oh, well, absolutely. And, and, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I was hired by the Denver Art Museum to participate in a panel on, it's more like a round table with an audience about the conversation of like censorship and banned books in this country and the way we silence each other, which brought in the crusade I'm currently on, which is to kind of balance the, um, the call out culture and this very queer bullying scene that I've noticed with um, 
You know, I, I understand that we, as saying we as in me belonging to the LGBTQ demographic, um, I think that we really had a lot of, we made a lot of headway with call out culture in that we weren't going to take any shit from people anymore, that we were, we wanted equal rights, we wanted marriage rights, we wanted to be able to define our gender outside the binaries that are so restrictive and our gender roles and our sexual identity and orientation. And we had to push really hard to force society to progress. And in that, I am very proud, but I definitely recognize that I think that I have seen a multitude of examples that the queer community is using the tactics of their oppressors in order to shut other people up and out. And I am always going to spread my, my skills, my talents, my interests as far as I can, because I don't think that there's one conversation that's more important than the other necessarily. And I don't think that anybody is more right than anybody else in a lot of ways. There are definitely archaic forms of thinking and behaving that need to be eradicated from society but I also think that we have we have lost the ability in a lot of ways to make room for other people like we forget that there's somebody else on the end of that Facebook comment or we forget that there is somebody with a totally different background and a totally different life experience expressing their opinion and then we also make opinion we treat opinion like fact and like there's <laughs> I'm just I'm working across the board with so many different organizations to remind people that not only is your uh, experience more of a fact than your opinion is but equally like you do not have the right to shut other people out or down. Like we're all in this together. So it doesn't matter to me if we're talking about cancer or we're talking about uh, censorship in China during the cultural revolution. Like there is a conversation to be had that interweaves into every other subject across the board. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, it's just really tremendous to me. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, is there some writing that you're doing, some poetry that you're creating that, that is part of this this message that you're putting out you know i am let me look here i i'm working on this series um that right now is just loosely titled gender so i'll read you gender part one i did everything my father's bible told me to i never wanted boys inside of me they just kept coming they're always there has always been a boy inside of me wondering if I evolved into this body to teach my ungrateful mind compassion or if I am what all women actually are unable to show for threat of crueler wars waged. I don't want to write slam poetry anymore, giving away all of my spring, returning home with winter. Poets addicted to trauma, traumatized by addictions, victims of the journey, worn down travelers, suckled dry by life's hunger. We all fancy ourselves brute strength and champagne flutes, historically emphasizing the inconsequentially affecting. I've got a boy between my ears, a woman between my legs. The ocean is made of plastic. We can reach our dead loved ones with a phone call and a nominal fee. Every holy part of us is for sale. Are there any meadows left to explore? I left the stage months ago. Lo and behold, the blooms are everywhere for the plucking, everywhere but behind a microphone. I shouldn't leave a slam feeling the way the poet did in their darkest moment. 
their job so simple, so pure, purpose so forsaken. They'd rather focus on the shadow than the light. Say it's necessary. Say it's cleansing. But say it's easy, won't you? The very least we could do is admit that no one ever stays for breakfast because we never learn to cook. And all I have to offer are these raw ingredients. No flame, no heat, no sense of resilience, just the same old story to tell and only strangers willing to listen. I beg you, either take up a culinary class or break your quills because no victims have ever authored history books. And they never will. Wow. And and you said this is a series that you're working with. Does that mean a book that's coming? <laughs> you know what? There are so many books in the works. I actually yes. had a book uh, due out in October of 2017 that was... In- tentatively titled Me Too, and then not only was the book late, but the Me Too campaign struck, uh, and I missed the boat entirely, which I could have never foreseen, but it was definitely a a, um, a reminder that um, I should always stick to deadline. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> It was a humbling experience in general because I was so excited to see the Me Too campaign. And then I was like, oh, I changed the title of my book because I uh, had received some advice that it wouldn't be a strong enough title to be searched and, and, you know, and to be picked up. And that was really jarring for me. But overall, I have three books in the works right now, two books of poetry and a book of essays. And um, I've had quite an adventure with the editing and publishing process. So they are late, but they are in process. All right. And is the best way for people to know about that? Well, the best way is for them to become part of your Patreon site, obviously. Uh, What's what's the next best way for people who say, well, right now I can't do the money thing every month? Oh, absolutely. You know what? You can always check out my website. That's, I mean, that's got my basic information. That's poetjenharris.com. Um, otherwise, I think just, you know, keeping an eye on Facebook. I, um, I have a personal page and a poetry page. And I'm not doing a lot of performing right now because I've been working on these bigger shows that, yeah. you know, are really stretching me. And, of course, the less time I spend on my own work um, with my own narrative, I think when I come back to my work, it's better because I have the perspective of more life experience under my belt. Yes. So um, I think it's important to just keep an eye on me on social media. And, um, you know, you'll be everybody will be the first to know <laughs> when I know when things are ready to be printed. But I sent books off to the printer and then... Uh, Oh, the cover photos were off, and then I found typos, and, you know, it's just been tedious. So, yeah. But that's I signed up for self-publishing this time um, in order to have a little bit more flexibility and freedom with my end product. So, uh-huh. um, you know, it's just taken a little longer, that's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Lots of projects. And tell a little bit about life in Denver, like, what's the light side? What, what, and it, I guess when I say that, it's not even just the light side, but what are some of the things that fuel what you're doing? Some of the things that fuel what I'm doing in Denver, you know what, the chaos definitely fuels (laughs) what I'm doing. 
this city is too big. There are too many people. Everybody's excited about the dirt cheap legal marijuana. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. There's such an influx of people from all over the country. There's no driving pace. Nothing makes any sense. <laughs> um, you know what? I love the mountains and I love nature and it gives me this freedom and this space to breathe deeply and participate in outdoor activities in a way that I don't think the Midwest has to offer quite as much. Uh-huh. And um, so I'm seeking a lot of solace in being outdoors. Uh-huh. And I live in the heart of downtown Denver right now. So um, if it's happening, it's happening here first. And, you know, there's a tremendous queer scene where, gender identity and sexual orientation are represented in every way possible. There's a tremendous arts scene and a lot of really talented artists here. But I think much in a similar way as Kansas City, um, it's just big enough that like everybody's a little spread out. So you kind of have to get this word of mouth connection going in the city. Um, But once you do, you know, you're 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 winning because <laughs> people turn out for art in the city. They show up to shows. They pay the ticket prices without blinking. Like they, it's just it's a great place to be supported. Um, the Denver Mercury Slam always has amazing nationally renowned or brand new, you know, on their way poets performing every Sunday. And Slam Nuba is you know changing the face of the country in making space for everybody who needs to share their work and wants to share their work and is talented in that. And I mean, it's just, there's so many people doing so many good things and I'm definitely being fueled um, equally by both nature and by um, the chaos of downtown. And love. Oh, absolutely. And love. (laughs) I'm more, I, uh, I think that I'm, um, I've taken a social media break for the last month. I've kind of, I've really taken it off my phone and I'm only checking it once a day while I'm like at work, but no other time. And, and uh, I got so much more precious about my relationship, I think, because in the process of going through uh, what I refer to as my divorce, but a breakup a couple of years ago, I, um, I caught a lot of shit online for, Um, I guess not explaining to people that I was no longer in a relationship. I didn't issue a press release saying like, we're still friends, but we're mommy and daddy are no longer together. And I got a lot of hate mail for that. I got a lot of people imposing their ideas about how I should have handled it. Um, And I, so I, I, I often post images and love notes of um, two and four Paula, my fiance. I'm, wildly in love with her and she's a magnificent human being she's one of the most smartest and beautiful women i've ever met in my life and i'm i'm so lucky to be with her and to have her there she's such an incredible talent and such an incredible support to me which i just i appreciate um and i also kind of i think i keep a little more for myself than i used to because it's such a a rarity to find a playmate that fits like this yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've known her my whole existence. I feel really, I feel really lucky and really grateful. And I'm sure Paul feels the same way, you know. You she better. Right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 She's, uh, 
<laughs> she's uh, she's just the funniest and most fun person. I have a blast with her, and we spend an awful lot of time together. And uh, you know, I just don't mind don't mind one <laughs> bit, and I hope she doesn't mind either. <laughs> so, do you oh. have poetry that is like the Colorado poetry, the nature poetry? Is that coming out in some of your work now? You know, I am, hmm, I don't know that I have written anything specifically nature-based, but I definitely have started drinking kombucha, and um, I own <laughs> I own a pair of hiking boots now, because <laughs> it turns out you can't climb a, a mountain to get to a glacier lake wearing Converse, so yeah, yeah, I have a... <laughs> It's true. I think I'm actually afraid of becoming that lesbian that writes like desert scene poetry. So <laughs> <laughs> I want it to come out, but I'm I'm actually making a lot of visual and 3D art right now when I just need like a palette cleanser. So yeah. I've been making a lot of like mountain landscapes out of um, paper and wire. And um, I don't know, the Denver Art Museum currently has a uh, like a sculpture studio that's technically um, for children, but they haven't kicked me out yet. So I keep going in there and making 3D art and then taking it home and being very proud of myself. So that's where we're at with the nature scene. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I didn't want to ask you about love poetry, but when you when you talk about your, your other art, I want to say that in my living room, I have this lovely little art piece from you. Aww. And it says... Be nice or leave. <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. I feel very much. <laughs> I feel very much that way, um, all the time. Like I, I have my sharp edges. Who doesn't? But I think that that's the way that we should all live our lives. I don't want to put up with any shit anymore. I'm yeah. just not gonna. Yeah. yeah. I also want to say on air because I, I don't think I had the chance to tell you this. I don't remember. Um, at Words Save Lives, which um, you know about, it's this annual event with poetry and comedy and drag and music and stories and on World Suicide Prevention Day. Um, the gathering, the, the event that we had this year included a woman who had reached out to me who works with people in um, the prison in Leavenworth. And mm -hmm. she, she was really wanting to be able to experience this event. And she tries to be helpful to those people in her life who've had experience with suicide thoughts as well as suicide loss. And she was really, really um, appreciative of being at the event. And one of the little things that we did this year, um, when we've done sometimes, is we had a drawing for some things. And I had made the decision um, that I was going to offer a CD of your poetry as one of those gifts. And she was the one. It's so wonderful and thoughtful. Uh, and she was so thrilled, not only to be able to have it and hear it, but also to be able to share the poetry. I mean, I don't think, I mean, she, her, her, her appreciation was so huge and it was such a cool thing because I thought you didn't get to hear Jen at this event this year. She had been here with us in the past, 
but but her her words are so powerful and beautiful and so that touches then not only to that woman but to these inmates who she works with and so i wanted you to yeah thank you for that i obviously need to send you another cd also (laughs) (laughs) i really appreciate that i feel very honored yeah and yeah I, I have I have my collection of poetry books that grows. I also have a collection of things that remind me of my connection to people. And as I'm sitting right here, one of the things that's my collection, one of them is actually in the middle of my dining room table for a variety of reasons. Rather than having flowers or traditional centerpiece, I have the love offerings. And one of the things that stands out there is there is this envelope that's that is from your your lovely illustration book cover illustration and mm. CD, and, and so right now I'm looking at this envelope that has this mailing address, poet Jen Harris. <laughs> so I'm saying this not just to share the love with with Jen, but to remind people stay connected to things that that remind you of the love in your life. You know the different kinds of joys that you experience. Just like Jen shared earlier about how her poetry reminds her of things that she has walked through and is thriving, even with those experiences being part of who she is, you know, sometimes we need reminders. And so sometimes those reminders are, are tokens of, of, that represent things that have happened and, and they help us get through the next thing. Yep, mm. that's it. Okay. Amen, sister. Yes. And how about another poem? Okay, let me see here. I am I'm looking at new works that I haven't necessarily shared with other people. I actually have something just a little bit longer than a, a standard poem, but it's an essay I'm working on. Would you care to hear that one? Absolutely. Okay, so um, I was inspired to write this after I went and saw the movie, the new movie, The Post, Uh because Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, but also because my former life is that of a journalist, and I still have a tremendous love and appreciation for the sacrifices that journalists make to tell the truth about the world at large. Mm -hmm. So this is called The Fight. There is a fight so big and brave in me a need to do something magnificent in this world, to honor the risks those before me took to keep the world in color, to preserve the gritty texture of the truth, the way we hold masterpieces under the light, asking both how and why. I want to leave something behind that cannot be downloaded, an idea that you can taste, a memoriam to the battles we fought to uphold our truth, no matter the legal standings nor the threats to our freedom. I want to set precedence, to proclaim that few truths are universal and make room for every speck of nuance. I've run as we all reflect upon doing. I too have come to the precipice of my capacity for fear. I want for nothing more than to defy defy the odds, to be the one who stands idly by while an easy, easy victory is delivered with no bloodshed, no routine disturbed. That's what my imagination conjures when faced with the choice between action and cowardice. I pray for another way. We all justify our fear with recently sustained heel fractures. Over time, children to care for. We go shopping when we should be marching. The glass is being smashed out of gas station windows on a movie screen. 
I'd sooner give an award for a well-executed reenactment than be peppered with blanks or made to sob by the smoke of tyrants. I want nothing to do with more scars or a longer criminal record or another day in court. I believe it is my human right to record my unique experience. I believe there are entities that would rather make me out to be a criminal or an insane person than let me declare to every household that I am disgusted by the power we let them take. I am humiliated by my role in failure failure to examine what I was told. I wish I had cared more when I was younger for the warning signs the alternative crowd was preaching. I wish I didn't want a long-haired teacup chihuahua or a private limo to a liposuction appointment. I wish the ideology of capitalism wasn't line up single file richest to poorest. I wish Hollywood would stop making old hero tales and instead demand new ones, real blockbusters from its consumers. I wish people were living like we'd learned something. Today I woke up on the fourth floor of a brick-and-mortar privilege compound and I wondered if I could ever do enough to make up for what I have not done. All the years I let power remain unchecked. I paraded around, unaccountable for my whereabouts after I thought we'd won. I did not exercise the muscle of my objectivity. Instead, I intoxicated myself on the fabric character, fabricated character assassination that is reality TV, told myself that was a lifestyle to be achieved, heard Snooki was paid more than Maya Angelou, and yet I let it happen so lazily. I watched the greatest minds of my generation lulled to sleep. We did not recognize the threat, having always believed the monsters under our bed or better remain in the goddamn closet. We didn't know they were in our TVs. We didn't know they were in our mannerisms, in the words our fathers mumbled, in the way we let the, a few tell the stories of some. We were erased, withheld, downplayed, spoken over, silenced. I do not accept silence anymore. I do not accept the facade. I do not pledge allegiance to the inhumanity of the machine. I call upon everyone to breach their contract with intolerance and stand united in our communal in our commonality to live a life equally possible for every person. I pledge to end my feigning of interest in others' suffering. I aspire to create substantial and withstanding relationships. I do not subscribe to a world where I am living among enemies. I revoke my power. I rebuke everyone's vicious carelessness of their own. I pledge allegiance to the truth. Long live print. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, Thank you. Thank you for having me today. I'm forever grateful to you. And thank you for doing all of the hard work all the time and doing it so beautifully. Thank you, John. It's, it's been such a pleasure to have this conversation and hear new, new works from you. And I want to make sure that people who are listening go to that Facebook post, go to Collective Our Stories of Cancer, look for poet Jan Harris on the social media and get something of her work that you can cherish in your own hands. Read it, listen to it again and again, savor those words and look for what comes next. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. And thank you, Daniel Smith, for letting people hear all this wonderfulness. 
and Silbon Listers. Until next time.